Today's podcast is brought to you by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. The Robert Mundavi Winery. Wait, we already did this one. There's more? I thought they all lived happily ever after. There's more family drama. Oh boy. Well, uh, have a drink and buckle up, buckaroo, because it's time for Robert Mundavi 2, Electric Boogaloo. Welcome to Have a Drink, the show where you learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm Christopher Walker. We are still absent a Casey because he is at the hospital with his wife and children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's an understandable reason, I guess. Very much so. A family man in the training. Yes. yes. We, we lived through it, so uh, <laughs> very much understand. I don't, but, you know, I'm dying alone. So uh, what have you guys been up to? Um, <laughs> sorry, Brittany's sigh is one of those things that makes me laugh. Thanks. Well, uh, me and you just went through the summer movie draft. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, otherwise, I had work down in Cynthiana this week. And as many people will or may recognize that name, uh, Cynthiana, Kentucky is the hometown of Robert Kirkman. Uh, it's where The Walking Dead starts. Yes, it is where the first, if you're a fan of the TV series, as most people are, it's where the first episode takes place, is Cynthiana, Kentucky. It's a long horse ride to Georgia. And, yeah, indeed, a lot of people don't take that into account, but uh, after working down there for a week, there's just walking dead crap everywhere, there's a giant mural downtown, and all I could think while working down there this week was, are we sure Cynthiana wasn't destroyed several years ago by a zombie apocalypse? Because there isn't anything in that town. It looks like hell. <laughs> I mean, there's a movie theater that uh, Robert Kirkman paid to keep open. That place is run on meth. Uh, you can't convince me of anything else. It's... Wait, wait. The whole city or just that movie theater? Both. Both. Oh. <laughs> that town looks like hell, and it just needs bulldozed into the river. <laughs> I mean, think back to our hometowns. If you can even call where I grew up a town. They're run on insurance fraud and things like that. Okay, also true. Uh, Harrison County High School has a good marching band, so there's that. I, I, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, but Cynthiana sucks. That's I don't know, I don't know why people are like, let's have a Walking Dead festival there. It's like there's nothing there because. Because he started it there. It's like having uh He's even um, admitted he'll never go back there. He doesn't like he got all of his money and he got the F out. He went to LA. He said F this place. 
I mean, not initially, but once Walking Dead became a TV thing, he tried living in two places and went, nah, this ain't gonna work. He said, nah, dog, they ain't got shit in, uh, <laughs> in Cynthiana. Well, uh, Brittany, what have, uh, what have you been up to? What's currently, what's currently bothering you? What's stuck in your craw? What's currently jiggling down there on the floor? I was wondering where that sentence was going. I was going to say, that got real specific. Um, Yeah, so our poor baby, our four-month-old, has the flu. He has a freaking daycare. And he's also teething and has an ear infection. So that's fun. He's uh, checking all the boxes for unhappy. Yeah, basically. Although, surprisingly, he's not, like, super pissed off a lot. Unless he's just, like, snorting it up and can't breathe very well. Chris told me today that he had the flu and like a panicked parent, which I am not, I immediately went to the internet and went, <laughs> All right, what what does flu present like in babies? Don't do that. Don't oh, don't God, Google yeah. like baby and flu. It's not good. I didn't look for images, I just looked for symptoms. It's just sad. Is we we look away and then we look back and his eyes are like crusted over with like eye boogers. Like literal <laughs> boogers. They're like huge. Like green. green goopy things all over. It's like that wasn't there two minutes ago. Where'd it come from? It's just sad. It's just the whole thing's sad. But um, we, so I fell in love with this this baby brand, and uh, we've now gotten like seven of their items or whatever. They have these menthol. They're called um. Oh, I don't have a camera. Uh, they're called sm- snot wipes. Um, because it's what they are, and they they are they're just they're wipes for the baby's nose, and they've got aloe and and vitamin E and they're, menthol. They're wipes for snot. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty straightforward. Uh, it says the better booger wiper. <laughs> um, yeah, this brand is amazing though, and like it, everyone gets on. Those they have, have helped. They have the the nose suction thing. That's what everyone's like. Oh, millennials and their like nose suction thing for the babies, where you suck the snot out of their nose. Works. It works. There's a filter too. You're not getting snot in your mouth. There's a little filter that'll catch anything before it flies oh, up. A... That's that's right. You got the, like the little yeah. it's the Frida uh, baby. It's like you're trying to to steal gasoline. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You're siphoning snot out of your baby's nose, and it works. It is a. <laughs> I I said that and went. I wonder how people are gonna know what what I'm talking about, but I knew you two would. Except this is even better because on the gasoline you have a chance of it actually getting into your your mouth <laughs> like. This is not that way. I mean, you know, we've all had moonshine. <laughs> well, uh, in less sad news, uh, yeah, me and Chris did the movie draft. That's basically been the biggest thing I've done this week. Uh, announcements, yeah. Uh, summer movie draft was a blast. We just did that like two hours ago. We had a lot of fun. We got a we got a decent slate of movies. Uh, decent, we're going to perform. Think, we're going to perform okay. I, I think I, we're going to do really well with the this slate of movies. So why don't you go ahead and lay it on them? What we got? Do we actually do we remember what we got them for? I know one of the movies was an absolute steal. I uh, let's see. We got Pet Cemetery for ten. Yeah, Pet Cemetery was. We could have probably cut it for less, but everyone was laughing because I outbid you, and then yes. decided to just keep this as a running trend. So anytime you bid <laughs> under ten dollars, I immediately bid ten dollars. I was like, "Please stop! I'm afraid of getting movies I don't want." <laughs> uh, Pet Cemetery, we did kind of want. Like it was one that, like, okay, it'd be fine. It, it may perform okay, 
Yeah, for, uh, for ten bucks, Pet Cemetery, I'm fine with that. John Lithgow being creepy main guy doing the whole going way up there, huh? But uh, after that, I had drank too much, so a lot of the numbers start to get fuzzier. Um, we got Captain Marvel, uh, Shazam, and Hotel Mumbai, which I know we got for fifteen dollars because it's the last amount of money we had, and we are the only. Only one of the draft to spend all of their money. We spent all of our money, yes, but it was to just gobble something up at the end. And you're you're leaving one out. You're leaving a very key one out. Oh, that's right. That's right. I am leaving one out, which is Detective Pikachu, which I had told to a mutual friend of ours if we had not gotten, I was required to commit ritual suicide. Yes. So uh, for those keeping track at home, we got both Captain Marvel movies, the DC and the Marvel version. He did. Huh? We're we're proud. Uh, of that. Oh, Shazam! Shazam. Okay. Shazam is originally named Captain Marvel, but right, it right. requires. I can't get this speech down to two minutes, but we, we our show is not called. It's not about comics. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I never mind. I knew. I knew. <laughs> what I was waiting for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please don't, Bob. Please. So, how much did we get Captain Marvel for? Though it was a stupid sum of money. It was like it was under thirty dollars. I think. Yeah, like it was like six twenty-seven. I think it was $27, something like that, is what we got Captain Marvel for. So Jim in chat said that he's concerned about the, the Rotten Tomatoes score for... But I haven't heard anything bad from it from anybody that, I'm not, that's seen so it. There's, there's it was higher, a, but it's at 79%. That's not bad. There's been a smear campaign of trolls trying to get its rating down. They were trying that even before it released, and they had to like reset the rating on it. So that that doesn't worry me. The fact that it had a an over sixty million dollar Friday alone is just awesome. So it's it's tracking to do over one hundred fifty million this weekend, which gets us off to a pretty good start. We are technically in the lead right now. Uh, yep. In that we have a movie. Yeah, we and, have and, a movie, and it has performed money. <laughs> yeah, critic rating is solid on it. Uh, user rating, eh? I I could. It's whatever. Uh, what matters in this race is the dollars coming in. Yeah. Ratings could be it could be rated the worst movie ever. As people are going to see it because it's rated the worst movie. <laughs> people are shelling out money for it. That's what I want. We it's also got message that there's there may be something coming our way from one of our fellow draftees. We, we may have more to talk about with that later. Yeah, oh, yes, yeah. Yes. There may be something uh, on its way from Alaska. Wonder. I wonder who and what that could be. <laughs> Hot beverages said, I have no time to see movies. Uh, yeah, Preaching to the choir. <laughs> I would really I do. Like... I have scheduled my movie time for Tuesday this week. I would really like to go see the final installment in the How to Train Your Dragon series. I will not get to see it till it's on uh, uh, yeah. on video. I may try to do a double feature on Tuesday. If I've not got anything else to do, I may try to go watch two movies back to back. We're just going to have to buy that. Because honestly. I don't have children, and I, I just do what I want. Rub it in. There's a bunch of things <laughs> that we haven't got to see for a while that are now out to rent and the whatnot. So we're going to have to do that. Yeah, Spider-Verse like, just came out on digital. Spider-Verse. Oh, Spider-Verse is so Ralph good. And... There are two movies I have to recommend to you guys. One is Enter the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Or... Yeah. The second, I already told Chris, Death of Stalin. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. I, want... I wanted to see that anyway. I just had to be reminded. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a thing, and I need to watch it. Oh, it's so... I, I'm about halfway through. We had stuff come up, so I couldn't finish, but I'm like, oh, yes. 
it's 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 a great dark comedy so far. All right. Well, uh, we will be updating everyone as the movie draft goes week to week. And um, uh, speaking of the person who will do those announcements, I do want to kind of toss in a little thing here. Big Voice Jay that usually does our movie draft minute. Uh, he's got an audio book that he's recorded. And it's uh, YOLO420.com slash relax. Oh, wow. Uh, if you got a free Audible thing, throw a credit his way. I'm sure something something will will have. The book is called Expel Negativity Away. Going through your deepest thinking to help you become positive, become a happier person, and be the person you always wanted to be. CB, uh, in uh, open parent, uh, CBT, mindfulness, meditation, and hypnosis. Uh I don't know if that's still the book for me, but I'm willing to throw down free Audible money. Yeah, to... that's. I well, want to check that out. I could just listen to Jay talk. That's the thing. Yeah. I, mean, I honestly could listen to him read the phone book, which is kind of what happens when I hit listen now on it, and I went, "Yeah, okay, no, I'm, <laughs> I just want to hear you speak. Keep <laughs> Say going. Say whatever you're saying. Yeah, uh, he's one of those voices. Indeed. Yes. So yeah, everyone, uh, check that out, and uh, we'll try and make that link available. If you want to go find Big Voice J, the voice of the movie draft, to talk about or to read that book. So let's go ahead and scoot into some news. Uh. So this time of year, there's always something we have to talk about. And it, some people don't find it interesting, some people do, but we're going to cover it. This uh, is the earnings roundup, is what we've decided to cobble as many of them together as we could. Because we finally have all the final numbers in for 2018, and we can talk uh, with slight authority about what happened last year and how some companies are looking in the beverage industry. So, Anheuser-Busch, uh, ABM Bev, their revenue is topping $54.6 billion, with a B, in from 2018. Uh, ABM Bev today reported global revenue of 4.8% to more... Uh, to more than $54.6 billion, despite continued declines in the U.S. Nevertheless, global volume for the world's largest beer manufacturer grew 0.3% last year. So despite failing in the U.S., they are growing internationally. I mean, there are countries outside of the U.S. The devil, you say. (laughs) In the U.S., AB reported that revenue declined 0.7% in 2018, despite revenue poor per hectoliter growing 1.9%. Companies' sales to retailers and sales to wholesalers declined 2.6 and 2.7%, respectively. Those declines were in large part due to the company's faltering flagship lager brands. In 2018, Budweiser lost 35 uh, basis points of market share, while Bud Light lost 85 basis points of share. Nevertheless, ABM Bev CEO Carlos Brito told investors that uh, analysts that the company's U.S. market share trends, which declined an estimated 40 BPS in 2018 and 20 BPS in Q4, were its best since 2012. He credited the improvement. I mean, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's one way. Uh, he credited the improvement uh, market share trends to changes in the company's sales strategy and success of premium offerings such as Michelob Ultra, uh, Bon and Viv Spiked Seltzer, and craft beer brands, as well as new products such as Michelob Ultra Pure Gold, Bud Light Orange, and Budweiser Reserve Series. Michelob 
Ultra as a premium offering. I'm just like, I mean, we're not playing golf. Pretty much, yeah. And uh, I also think about another story we didn't run that talks about the uh, the audience for Michelob Ultra <laughs> and their their political leanings, whereas it, in fact it has been proven that uh, a certain political faction lean to Michelob Ultra. Uh, Bridget said AB's involvement or innovation beers uh, last year accounted for half of the overall U.S. beer industry innovation. What does that mean? The beer industry's innovation volume. It sounds like some buzz, some like crappy buzzwords they made up to say, hey, look at this. Goose Island does okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that, kind of feels more more accurate than than the innovation wing of our... Revenues for AB's global priority brands, Budweiser, Stella, and Corona, which AB owns outside the U.S., increased 9% to 20 in 2018. Those three brands now represent more than 20% of the company's total revenue. Hmm. There is a lot more to dig into this one, but we still have a lot of other things to talk about, so we will scoot on to Boston Beer, uh, Sam Adams, their sales. They topped $995 million in 2018. They, they nearly made a billion dollars. They they got close. Still, you know, very far behind AB InBev. I mean, yeah, but that's, but that's that's not an amount of money that I would laugh at. The nation's second largest craft beer company, which makes Sam Adams, Angry Orchard, Twisted Tea, and Truly Hard Seltzer, among other offerings, posted double-digit growth in uh, depletions, shipments, and sales last year. According to the earnings report released Wednesday, Boston Beer's new revenue increased 15.4% to $995.7 million dollars. For the Man, 52 that, those, week period ending December 29th. Those teas, hard, uh, uh, hard sodas, and hard seltzers really helped them out. Yeah, they did. I have a feeling truly, extremely did, considering right now, if you still go and look for the hard seltzers, which are uh, just like massively exploding category, and I don't understand it, but when you go and look, truly is what you're mainly going to find. They got their offering out there before almost anyone else. Uh, the company said it shipped nearly 4.3 million barrels of product in 2018, up from 3.8 million barrels in 2017, 4 million barrels in 2016. Additionally, Boston Beer reported similar growth in depletions in uh, plus 13 and shipments, plus 13.7, for the full year, attributing to depletion growth to non-beer offerings. Truly Hard Seltzer, uh, the company quietly dropped, spiked, and sparkling from the name, Twisted Tea and Angry Orchard brands. Nevertheless, volume declines continued for its Sam Adams line of craft beers. So, uh, yeah, the the whole Sam Adams line is dropping, 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 while Truly and the other hard uh, hard lemonades they, and such are shooting to the roof. They are trying to uh, to turn that around for uh, for Sam Adams because they're doing their their new ad campaign. Uh, make slower beer. If you've seen that, I it's have like, not. Oh yeah, no. Like they're saying, like don't make beer fast. Making it fast makes it bad. Here at Sam Adams, we don't want efficient use of our beer. We want to make slower beer. And Is this it's a like simple Jim, Rick kind of kind of go at 
Super I mean, kind of. It's it's like Jim uh, Jim Cook like putting his hand in some some into like face into some hops, and he's like you know, like a whole handful of it from out. You know, it's like we only get our uh, ours from you know out here in Germany, the only place they can grow. So we don't, you know, for our kind of hops for Sam Adam Boston Lager, we've got you know we don't go for the cheap one just around the corner. We go straight to the source where you can find. I don't know, Hollow Tower or whatever it was they were using. Uh, uh, for my money, the best hops come from, like, Australia and New Zealand. I mean, Where you get yes. your galaxy. Right. But uh, but for everyone else, like, if you're just doing a weird ad, ca- ad campaign on TV, it makes it seem a lot more. Uh, and they do have here in this, uh, in this part of the article, they talk about... Um, that uh, Jim Cook said the company is proud of its depletion growth, but notes that the company still ha- is facing uh, uh, he- still facing headwinds as craft beer segment slows. He had the their continuing efforts to stem the decline of their flagship beer, Boston Lager, and its new advertising campaign has noticeably improved trends. Is so. it the ad campaign, or is that is it that uh, Budweiser decided to just drop a nuclear bomb on the rest of the industry? <laughs> I mean, I think the the slower beer stuff happened before that, so there's probably the beginning of an uptick, but, you know, maybe. All right, so that's what's uh, cooking over at the second largest and our uh, close to our hearts, Boston Beer, Sam Adams. So let's move on to another big player in this space, uh, the CBA Craft Brew Alliance, uh, planning okay. national ad campaign, and they saw double-digit growth for one of their brands under their label, Kona. So hoping to build the continued growth of its flagship Kona Brewing portfolio, Craft Brew Alliance said it plans to increase sales of the Hawaiian-themed brand by double digits in 2019 that's important to keep in mind because a lot of people think that it's made in hawaii while the company originally came from hawaii and uh some of the beer is brewed there pretty much none of it that comes stateside is actually brewed there made they make hawaiian punch (laughs) i mean i'd be fine with that during Thursday's earnings call with investors and analyst ceo andy thomas laid out the company's plans to hit the goal while also reflecting on a good 2018 as Brewbound, where we sourced this one, and I think all these stories, uh, yeah. reported Wednesday, CBA released its full year and fourth quarter earnings, which were highlighted by 8% depletions growth for Kona products on the year. However, the company's net sales still declined 1%, 206.2 million, and total shipments dipped about 700 barrels to 747,600 uh, barrels. On Thursday's call, Thomas said CBA's 2019 strategy strategy is shaped by consumer research conducted last year, which he said provided the company and more contemporary view of the marketplace and drinkers. We believe uh, beer is still a vibrant category, he said, and we believe consumers still love beer. But our reality is we live in a world of seemingly infinite drink choices. As a result, beer is no longer an unchallenged choice as it once was. You may hear a very talkative baby in the background. But it's extremely <laughs> adorable and distracting. Yeah. So yeah. according to Thomas, consumers are no longer satisfied by one brand, one style, one size. I do have to agree with him there. Like, even when it comes down to craft, that is not, like, you're not going to find anyone 
that is one brand, one style, one size. That is just not a thing anymore. So I will say, like, they show a picture here of, you know, like, the long longboard logger and the big wave gold nail and a glass of beer there. And I'm like, it still look tasty right now. <laughs> they do. Uh, that's when we did, uh, when we had the old video episodes, uh, we did the Kona pack and we all really liked it. We're like, no, this is, this is pretty great. So, um, now, Craft Brew Alliance is some percentage owned by AB InBev. Yes, yeah. uh, I'm not sure to what percentage. It's like 25? It's, it's not big, is it? Like, it's not huge. It's not a controlling stake or anything like that, but they do have interest in it. But uh, the CBA is Kona and Red Hook... Um, Woodmere Brothers, Woodmere. yeah, because yeah, yeah. they just shut down the Woodmere Brothers uh, original. I don't know if it's original, but it was like the home base uh, tap room and restaurant. Thirty one point three percent is okay. what Anheuser Busch owns. I just found it too. I had to look that up. Oh, and yeah. they also have a uh, Omission Beer, which is the one who does that gluten free, I believe. Mm. And then um, the gluten free that's not gluteny. I know, right? Like the only other one. Well, and then yeah. New Belgium has like one. Uh, right. And then Square Mile Cider. But yeah, things looking up. Out of all their brands, at least for Kona, and out of all their brands, I got to say, yeah, that's if, you know, I was going to see one of them do good, that's a good one because we've had some of those beers and they were pretty tasty. They so were. It is a, it's a good way to bring in new drinkers. Support that all the way. So... From a lot of these stories, I think what you take away is things, beer-wise, not looking the best. But for those companies in general, they have found a way to pivot. And for right now, they're standing on hard seltzer. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the trend right now. So it's it's going to make some, some money from it that way, which, you know, sure. But. Let's hope she holds, and let's move on into our topic. Been up that truck, seeking bastards. Been up that truck. Been up that truck. Been not that drunk. The tower of cans next to me says that's a lie. <laughs> One of mine fell when I had to go get some food. Uh, well, we're back with. The Robert Mondalvi Winery, as la as we discussed leading up to the founding of the Robert Mondalvi Winery a few weeks back. Uh, this week, it's time to focus on the business and its growth. Uh, when last we met our heroes, uh, Peter Mondalvi and Robert Mondalvi had split their work on Krug Winery in California, due in large part uh, to a clashing of personalities. In the beginning, Robert Mondalvi uh, Winery, there was a heavy rush to get a pr get producing a product. Robert received very little in the way of uh, severance when he uh, uh, when he left the employee of his family Krug Winery. Even though he was still allowed to live in the family estate, he was required to pay his own utilities and his own membership to the country clubs. Uh, his priority in those early months was to get making uh, was to get the making and sales of wine quickly. Uh, from groundbreaking to the first grape harvest, he wanted to do it in two to three months. That's not nearly enough time. Well, 
there were some odd deals made in that first year. One of Robert's friends allowed him to bring samples of uh, to the Krug Winery lab for testing, and the Krug Winery uh, even crushed the grapes for Robert Mondavi's winery and sold it yeast, bottles, and labels. The Robert Mondavi Winery also used Krug's bottling machine free of charge. In that first year, uh, Mondavi crushed 490 tons of grapes to the surprise of others in the valley. I mean, he did just come from a fairly successful winery. He may have known a little bit of what he was doing. May have had an inkling about it. Well, in just four years, the winery crushed its uh, increased its crush ten times. So that's a lot. Uh, they were competing in local competitions thanks largely to the winemakers uh, winemaker Mike Garrick. Gergich? Gergich. Gergich. Larry Gergich Gingrich. No, no, no Parks and Rex here? Okay, fine, moving on. Uh, but Gergich saw the writing on the wall. The winery was built in, uh, with a dynasty in mind, and he knew that Robert Mondavi's son, returning from college soon, uh, that he would uh, never be promoted or be welcomed as a shareholder in the business. In 1972, Gergich moved to uh, the Chateau Montalina winery. No. Mm, yes. I mean, fair enough. Uh, if that name sounds familiar, you may have uh, seen the movie Bottle Shock because it's uh, the lead winery in the movie and uh, one of the two winners of the most famous Judgment uh, Judgment of France, where the wines from California and wines from France were pitted against each other at Taste Off, led by French wine experts. Sounds so hoity-toity. Eh, just a little. Uh, when the American wine won an event, it was Gurkich that placed at the top. Other winners from uh, Stag, other winners from Stag's uh, Stag's Lip was made by Warren Wenarski, and another previous winner for Robert Mondavi. Now, even though Mondavi's wines were not in the competition, it was understood in the valley that the winery uh, had been the place where the two winning winemakers had honed their skills. Every winery in California and Napa Valley, uh, specifically, however, gained in the heightened profile of American wines. Because, you know, it's, <laughs> the, the general assumption, I guess, at the time was, if it's not French, why am I drinking it? Yeah. Uh, Mondavi was constantly looking for ways to exploit the general direction of the wine world in his favor. Sauvignon Blanc uh, at the time had a bad reputation. Uh, doing my best not to break into song right there. Uh, he was, however, using a method that gave it uh, more of a French-like character. In France, the wine would be named Blanc Fume. Uh, in the U.S., he made his Sauvignon Blanc, but uh, made up the name Fume Blanc. I mean, made Fume up Blanc? is kind of a generous term for that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's not really a big stretch. I don't think creativity was one of his uh, one of his strong suits, at least no. in naming. No. Well, in 1969, Mondavi had purchased a large stake in grapes that came to crush. Uh, the winery had around uh, 1,000 tons of grapes, nearly twice the amount they had crushed the year before, and no way to sell them. So they needed a new influx of clash, uh, cash to help them sell the juice. A new investor came from an odd uh, partner, the brewing industry. Yeah, the f 
Five Rainier Brewery at the time was looking to diversify into a faster-growing market than the beer industry, which was even at that time dominated by Coors and Budweiser. They sent out a representative to talk with Mondavi about partnership. There was originally talk of selling completely, but Rainier bought out stakes from some minor investors and would add the cash to the winery. Even as he started his own winery, Robert Mondavi was still part owner of the Krug winery his father founded and where he had been employed for years. His ownership was small, however, and that prevented him from making any of the major decisions. His brother Peter and mother made the majority of the decisions in their own private meetings. Then, when they had their official board meetings, Robert was told what the company was going to do instead of being allowed to vote. I mean, if you don't have enough clout to vote, I guess that's just kind of how it is. Yeah, that kind of stinks, and you see why he's kind of making some of the moves he's making. Uh, The Krug Winery was also looked at by the brewing industry, and there were multiple offers on the table from brewers like Schlitz and even Quaker Oats Company to buy the winery for $32 million in cash or stock and even allow the family to continue controlling the winery. Oh, man. That just makes me think of like them saying, like, look, here's a big bag of money. I'm not talking houses. I'm not talking, you know, trades or whatever. No. This is a big bag of money. So imagine this as kind of like that Amish Mafia show or whatever, and just like the Quaker Oats man's riding up uh, in a horse-drawn carriage with a big bag of money to give to them. Uh, No, because the horse would just eat the big bag of money. He would think it's oats, get into it. No, it's the probably what the deal fell through. It's the Quaker Oats man. I mean, he had plenty of oats to give the horse. The horse had the best oats. Who are we kidding here? I'm sure he did, but he was probably a gluttonous horse. Too fat? (laughs) I mean, if you're surrounded by the best oats, sometimes you're just like, oh, that's also a bag of oats. Well, all these Quakers showing up with bags of money uh, led to some family discourse, as the matriarch of the family refused to sell. She stated, uh, what would I do with $32 million? Can I be any happier than I am right now? Well, you can have $32 million worth of jet skis. And just try to try to not just, be happy on a jet ski. Yeah, pretty much. One of the biggest issues happened in 1972 when the Krug Company voted against Robert by creating a paper organization that owned the Krug Winery and redistributed the share structure. The new structure was favorable to the majority leadership and was close to writing Robert out of the company's profits set up with the company for a future lengthy court battle. The plan charged the ownership and reduced Robert's ownership from 24% to 10% share. Oof. <laughs> yeah, no, we're going to cut you in half and then a little more. When Robert refused this, they went ahead and split Robert's ownership amongst themselves. Yeah, that... Might not have been the best idea. No, something deep inside me thinks they they came to regret that move. Robert filed a legal complaint and asked for a neutral party to oversee the change in the organization from the original partnership to the new corporation. 
In doing that, he had to name his brother and mother in the lawsuit a point of no return for what had been a tightly knit family. So he's basically <laughs> just like burning all those bridges and like, peace out. I mean, in fairness, they didn't cut themselves out of the yeah. that much of the shares. There were multiple opportunities for Peter to prove his business savvy, but was outclassed by Robert when the bulk wine market took a dive. Peter canceled all of his contracts with grape growers in the region. These growers refused in the following year to sell any grapes at all to Peter, and instead they all sold to Robert Mondavi. These missteps in management led Robert to file his next motion in 1975. Robert's lawyers made a motion for a scorched earth approach. They asked for the He's going to make the South uh, squeal or bleed? Pretty much. They asked uh, for the courts to dissolve the Krug winery on the grounds of mismanagement. A motion <laughs> that, if passed, would see the dissolution of the company and, al and all assets sold and divided up. Ouch. Yeah. There was a lengthy lead-up to the court case that was coming. Uh, the lawyers took uh, depositions and poured over boxes of internal memos, financials, and communications. The case was set up so that in 1976, it became one of the longest, most involved, and public cases in Napa Valley history. Trial was expected to be long, so the courts transferred the case to a large double-wide trailer that had been converted into a temporary courtroom. A judge from outside the area was brought in and lived and lived in a silver Airstream camper while presiding on the case. That's, that's not what you wanted when you decided to become a jurist. Oh, the case was framed differently on both sides. Krug claimed uh, Robert Mondavi was legally competing against the company. Since he was such a large owner and his access to all the financials, while Robert Mondavi claimed he was being written out of his inheritance, a pretrial settlement was proposed by Krug and turned down, which offered Robert $3 million in exchange for his share and to drop the lawsuit. Guess what? He gave him, he gave him the guns and walked out of that silver airstream. He refused. So, uh... I mean, how could three? How would he be any happier with three million dollars? Yeah, I, I like to think that's what he said. I want to. I'm willing to <laughs> bet that was like officially in writing. How could I be any happier with three million dollars? As he's slowly raising, raising a middle finger to them. No, he's slowly raising a glass of his own wine. <laughs> Taking a long deep. Just sip. like. <sighs> Up yours, mom. <laughs> Jeez, I'm telling you, the story is so juicy. It's so good. <laughs> like the whole the whole time, you're just like shade. Oh, all right. Well, continuing on, uh, the case was a David versus Goliath situation where one side of the room sat the board of a multi million dollar Krug winery and their lawyer. Joseph uh, Alioto, the high-priced lawyer and, or yes, lawyer and mayor of San Francisco. 
While on the other sat Robert Mondavi and his lawyer, John Martell, uh, the long-haired lawyer who took off three months of the year leading up to the trial playing rock music for large crowds. Sure. All right. Sure. Sure. What? what? I, I thought at first that was Judge, uh, the lawyer was name was Aido, and I went, wait, 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 from from the, the, the OJ trial? And I was like, oh, oh no, no, no. Yeah, Joseph. Not, not quite. Aito. Aliato. Uh, Rosa, their mother, passed during the trial from what appeared to be a heart attack or stroke. At her funeral, her friends urged the family to peace, uh, to peace in the very public court battle. Yeah. Okay, this was. is gonna make me sound worse, but remember how I imagined how he refused the three million dollars? I like to imagine the next thing she, that she did was to have a heart attack out of spite to make him feel guilty. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this sounds like such she a soap opera. She's sitting there punching herself in the chest going, Give out, down you! No, the whole thing sounds like... A, this is Days of Our Lives. Like a, a Spanish soap opera. Like, yes. not even, was a, like yeah. it's one of those it, real good ones. Oh, I was going to say, like, look, if there, was a, if there was a witch and a small child that used to be a doll, this would be the plot of passions. Oh my god, I was going to yes. reference that and didn't know if you guys would get that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I tried explaining Passions to someone recently because my mom used to watch that, and I'm like, okay, look, there's a soap opera that made absolutely no sense, and apparently it was a spinoff to Bewitched. Really? What? Oh, because Tabitha. Tabitha was that Tabitha was... from Bewitched, a little girl that, like... Yeah. It, it, oh, it was the weirdest, dumbest, <laughs> like, train wreck of a show. Like you and I'm just saying like the people look who away. made that show should have made this story. Mm. They didn't have to make it. It exists already. <laughs> it could still be done. They could still do it. Well, the antics and childishness of the case did not stop with the family. Uh, Alioto had a tendency to invade the opposing lawyer's space, walking behind him to read court documents over his shoulder at the trial, even though Martel asked the judge to make him stop. He still did it. <laughs> it just sounds so petty when you phrase it like that. Yeah. It's like, Judge, make him stop. Mommy's touching me. Okay, um, once when he was doing this, Martel acted dead. like he didn't know he was there and spun around quickly in his chair, driving his elbow into the stomach of Aliotos, who smiled <laughs> without missing a beat, his stomach muscles hard as a car door. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's too good. Uh, yeah, it just keeps getting better. Appar- apparently, this former mayor used, you know, didn't skip ab day. He's like, no, I've got crunches to do. <laughs> right, luchador. That's yeah. That just makes the Spanish soap opera thing worse. Uh, leading. Oh up- my god. <laughs> okay, no, we're going full Spanish soap opera now. He's in court with a full luchador mask. Yeah, yeah. no, we got to go all the way on this. One. Obviously, uh, leading up to the case, it was obvious Robert Mondavi was going to have to speak on to the stand. He was being he was prone to being defensive and snapping back with quick answers and long explanations instead of answering the questions. Robert's lawyer called a psychiatrist and explained the situation. The psychiatrist diagnosed the issue as guilt. Robert <laughs> felt guilty for breaking up the family's business and the family, going against his father's wishes, and more importantly, he felt guilty for being more successful than his father. <laughs> This is this is now turned to arrested development. That's yeah. Oh, no, that's just like that's, rubbing it in. I'm sorry. I feel guilty 
for being better than all of you. Yeah. As he slowly so raises <laughs> both hands, giving them the guns. I just, it just hurts me deep inside to know I'm better than all of you. Uh, um, Peace between worlds, Rick. <laughs> Uh, so when presented with this, Robert understood, and from that point, he was more thoughtful and less impulsive with his answers. This helped him tremendously on the stand, while his brother Peter had bouts of what looked to be jealousy in the full view of the courtroom. The case against Krug was centralized around a few main points. First, that the company, when forming this new corporation that sold the Krug wines was funneling profits to that company instead of having them distributed the way the original partnership had intended. Robert's lawyers showed that the Krug winery was selling the wines at different prices to the new company and allowing it to be more successful even though the wines, by Krug's own measurement, were poorer quality. Uh, The wines aren't fine, you must decline. Uh, there was even a point in the trial when Robert's lawyer sorted the, through the reports and showed that some of the wines made by Krug were not high enough alcohol to be called wine by the state of California. He accused them of making nothing more than grape juice and calling it wine. A fact that really got under <laughs> Peter's skin. Under oath, Peter claimed that they were selling high quality wine to, to the new company, while internal documents showed that the same batch was so poor quality, it was unsellable. (laughs) It just gets better and better. That's not the kind of thing you want to have happen during court. No. Uh, The judge handed down a favorable decision for Robert in August of 1976. He condemned Peter and the deceased Rosa of the Krug Winery. He found that they engaged in deliberate and calculated execution of a scheme to defraud Robert. He found them guilty of fraud, abuse of authority, and, and persistent uh, unfairness to minority shareholders. He concluded Krug was no longer the family business that was envisioned, but instead was a corporation solely for Peter and his family. With that, he ordered the sale of the Charles Krug Winery, this was the largest dissolution of profitable business ever ordered by a California court at the time. Okay, I don't know what's coming next, but I like to imagine that uh, Robert Mondavi went, oh, Peter, it's a shame you have to sell the whole business. Why are you buying all of it then, Robert? It just seemed like the thing to do. <laughs> so, no, yeah. there's like literally a sentence left. And before we get to that, I'm, it's just looking, it's like the judge was like, no, looked at looked at his brother and was like, "F you and your mama too. You're dead, mom. You're dead. Yeah, that's the, the... screw you and your dead mom. <laughs> so like what the hell? So that is so crazy. The final note here: the judge wrote in his decision, it was clear that Robert Mondavi is not and has never been a man of greed, and he awarded him nearly $1 million in attorney fees and damages. <laughs> so not only do you have to sell your business, but you got to pay the brother that left the business a $1 million in 1970s money. Yeah, the the brother that somehow convinced a judge to say F you and your dead mama too. Wow. Oh, this wow. story is so good. How how 
how has AMC or nobody like gobbled up these rights Man, and crafted? I, can, in, in I, a I think I said it last time. Style. Can you picture Robert Mandalvi as played by John Hamm, just looking going, the carousel takes you to where you where you want to be. No, I don't want. It, I don't want it to be John Hamm. I want it to be just like someone unhinged. So you get them sitting there, just like calm and collected, and you know they're absolutely effing crazy underneath. No, no, everything should be done by John Hamm. I want actually. Now that I'm thinking, oh, I don't remember the guy's real name though. Oh my gosh, the guy who played. Um, yeah, the. Uh, oh, that's exactly it. Uh, Jin Erso. Um, the uh, the guy the guy from Rogue One that oh um what which which one of the forgettable characters from Rogue no, One no not forgettable no, he's not he he was the main he was the, the her dad um uh, who made crap. the the thing in in the in the Death Star from jeez oh, he's he's oh Casino he was in Royale. he was in uh, Doctor Strange also. oh yeah um we're talking about uh, Mads Mikkelsen yes Mads Mikkelsen okay, could not have. Galen Urso. Yeah. I had to search Rogue One cast and then like kind of hunt through it to go. Nope, nope. Don't yeah. know who no. you are. No, don't he know. Needs... If he would play Robert, like he's really good at that. Like kind of, I don't know, sketchy, <laughs> but like swap. All I know is if he was the character in that, he would somehow bleed from the eye. Yeah, that's just how it works. I don't know. Did you see him in uh, what was it, Valhalla Rising? Holy... Did he bleed from the eye? No, he did not. Don't you lie to me. That's what he does in every movie. He doesn't bleed from the eye. It's just like a really jacked up movie. Like, oh, Valhalla Rising. I can't get over that movie. It is so messed up. He's like a slave and he gets taken by Vikings and they get lost at sea. And they're just, it's so good. So good. Hmm. All right. right, Well, I guess that's all we're going to talk about about Robert Mondavi. I think we're done. I think we've wrapped it all up, right? We can talk more about Mads Mikkelsen, couldn't we? I mean, maybe. No, uh, uh, but we are no, not I, done. I, I with... feel like there's actually unfinished business. We need to finish Robert Mondavi and so, his whole story. Indeed, uh, Robert Mondavi, the story is not done there. This is uh, merely the end of one of the big lawsuits and uh, the Mondavi, the Mondavi series that we have been slowly working on will continue. Uh, talking with Casey earlier, I think he mentioned we've got we could do two to five more episodes based on this depending how we want to swing it uh we may Mm. just keep it to one or two more episodes instead of dragging this thing out and we'll just get to those juicy bits but i love this story it's so good (sighs) well i think it's time to talk about what we've been drinking drink with me friend it's a Nobody's drinking wine. Brittany's not drinking anything. Uh, so, Justin, what uh, what have you been drinking? Well, uh, we... <laughs> Chris, I think me and you have both been in a... We got to get all of this Asheville beer out of our fridge. Yeah, the fridges are uh, in a state of disrepair. So, we've got we to gotta trim those down a bit. Let's just say there's a giant pile of stuff in my closet... That is in a holding pattern. If you think of it as an airport around my refrigerator, most of the planes are stuck off to the side, unable to even get near the airfield. Alright, well, uh, I have been drinking uh, something from Asheville. It is uh, the Trickster IPA from Green Man Brewing. Mm. 
It's an American IPA. Comes in at about seven percent uh, ABV. And uh, on their website, they describe it as this unfiltered tropical fruit forward IPA give note, gives notes of pineapples, peach, and watermelon. Smooth with medium bitterness and just enough malt backbone to support the hops. Brewed with pale malt and dry hopped with two pounds per barrel of El Dorado, Mosaic, and Simcoe. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say, this is a maltier beer than I was expecting, because I was like, oh, it's going to be an IPA. I'm going to get all hops. Get a little bit of extra stuff in there. Getting a little bit more a little bit more malt in there. Um, it's got a bit of dankness and a little bit of tannin flavors is what I was picking up. But what I'm thinking that's coming from more is uh, from like some of the pineapple and peach and whatnot. So some of that fruit flavor is like not the sweet fruitness, but like some of the other flavors inside of that. Kind of some stone fruit coming yeah. through. Uh, but it's it's been it's been pretty pretty good. Uh, it's got a uh, beer advocate score of four point oh five out of five. So. Does pretty well. All right. Well, uh, I have also been drinking an Asheville beer because guess what? We got to get this crap out of the fridge. <laughs> gotta so make can... room for more milk. Yeah, you're, you're not kidding. So I have been drinking 10W40, a German chocolate cupcake from High mm. Wire Brewing. I had that. I had that just last night. Oh, so that was one of the few beers I think pretty much all of us that made it out to high wire we all just like slowly everyone went up to the cooler and got a four pack <laughs> i have no a one... story about my my four pack buying experience but i want you to talk about this beer a little bit more all right no pretty much no one was immune from it uh the 10w40 is just the the big imperial stout from high wire the barrel aged version is delectable everyone needs to get that mm-hmm. Is an imperial stout brewed with sweet cherries, coconut, vanilla, lactose, and chocolate. Comes in at 8% ABV. Uh, could not find IBUs. There's a little bit of a hop bitterness in there. So they're in there. It's just no one's reporting it. And uh, I found a, uh, a score on here of 3.68 out of 5 from Beer Advocate. Uh, not not rating the highest, and I can't agree with that. It is it's kind of lacking something. Some of those flavors don't really carry through. Uh, it could be because of age. That was one thing I just checked. It was uh, into January that this beer released. So this is a big uh, stout that had been sitting for probably a month plus by the time we were able to purchase it. Yeah, that that may be part of it. Maybe the other part though is just it's it's more chocolate than. Yeah, the chocolate kind of kinda overrides else. all the other stuff. Just like that huge blast of chocolate. It's like, maybe dial it back and you'll detect some coconut and vanilla. So, when we were in Asheville, I went to go buy a six-pack of this. Or a four-pack, rather. And I'm standing in the bizarre orderly lines that are everywhere in Asheville breweries. Um, and Yeah, that is, that is very strange at High Wire. It's not the. Uh, it wasn't the usual. Like you walk up to a bar and there's just a mess of people around. It wasn't screaming. just high wire. Everywhere had that kind of line. High wires was just the longest. Yeah, the the lines stretched. High wires stretched out the door, but everyone but, just making a nice orderly line up to you know one point instead of everyone spreading out and just yelling at the bartenders. It it was odd to see. 
But I got, uh, I'm standing in line and someone looks over at me and goes, wait, are you, you going up to buy more beer with a four pack of beer in your hand? I was like, this is for later and I need to close out my tab. And they're like, oh, well, does it really taste like German chocolate cake? And I was like, I mean, it's a stout and it's chocolatey and it's, it's fairly decadent, but it, you know, maybe not exactly like German chocolate cake. Uh, but I do enjoy the enjoy that particular beer. Uh, although I had I had a, a someone needing to make cake out of a beer, using beer as an ingredient in cake making. All right. And uh, they had previously used Guinness, but they were like, "Yeah, I just want to make a chocolate cake." And I went, "Have I got the beer for you?" So I ran by my place, picked up a can for it, and handed it to them. They're like, "Oh, okay." That cake turned out real good. So I would like to I would like to thank the beer for that. That pretty much does it for today's show. Yeah, I think we're coming up on the end of it. Well, don't forget you can subscribe and get some great resources at haveadrinkshow.com. You can also follow us on uh at have a drink show on social media and twitch.tv. Uh, you can also tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some general feedback. You can use the email address at feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. You can also use the feedback page on the website. Uh, or any way you want to kind of shout at us. Facebook, Twitter. I mean, smoke signals. I still I haven't seen any in a while, but it's been winter. It's been We man we man the uh tops of the mountains waiting. Mm-hmm. Alright, yeah, uh, all joking fun aside, guys, I'd like to remind everyone to please drink responsibly. And uh, I guess I'm taking over for the rest of this. Uh, so you can check out our n- next episode uh, next Saturday. Maybe, possibly, we don't know. Uh, and remember to check out patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. Once again, uh, well, this is all screwed up. <laughs> you're, you're Chris Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And Brittany Walker seems to have had a baby emergency. They tend to happen. <laughs> all right. See you guys next time. See you guys later. You have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> it's like a party in my mouth, and everyone's throwing up. <laughs> They've left Chris near the soundboard for too long. <laughs>